Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Good morning. It is Tuesday, November 3rd. You're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. I'm joined today by Greg Biggins, National Recruiting Analyst for 24-7 Sports, one of my favorite guys to talk to on the podcast. Greg, we're going to talk about DJ Uyangalale today. That's that's a, a name that I think people got comfortable with saying over the last week. It's a name that's even tougher to say when you have a cold, as I do, but I bet it's it was fun for you to watch someone who you've been covering for five years now ball out like DJ did on a national stage Saturday against Boston College. No, I mean not to not to get all corny, but I, I mean, yeah, there are certain kids that you root for, right? And I've said this before when when both him and, and Bryce Young, they're always kind of united together, those two. But I said the same thing, probably the most humble five-star athlete I've ever covered was DJ and, and Bryce. Same way, right? But just talking, we're talking DJ right now. Known him since seventh grade, so it's been almost like what six years watching this guy develop, and he never changed as a person. Just very, very devout, very, very much of a, a leader, team first guy. And I could tell so many stories. We don't have time, but just how he always deferred to teammates and always pushed praise to teammates and never complained. He wasn't that guy when he came to Bosco as a freshman, sophomore. He didn't demand to be the starter, even though he was the, the guy right away. Always was a, a just a great leader. And so, yeah, watching him on Saturday, dude, I, I was, uh, I found myself nervous. I was going to ask. <laughs> I was nervous. I wanted, I, again, no dog in the fight from a team standpoint, but I wanted DJ to get that win. And so, yeah, I was kind of nervous late in the game when, you know, it was uh shoot. It was a one possession and I'm, I'm yelling, dude, let go for on fourth and one, right? Let DJ just run it up in there on fourth and one. So they, they punted it away. And um, yeah, dude, it was fun though. I, I was, I was very happy for DJ and for the, for the team. It was tense. I can't imagine being a true freshman and you had the keys of the kingdom, this playoff team, and then you're down 18 and halftime, no fault of your own. He really, he, he almost pitched a perfect game, Greg. Like he was just, he, it, it, no margin for error there. <laughs> they won by one possession and he didn't have any errors. Maybe you could say a, a handoff miscue with Travis Etienne, but those are two guys who don't really play together. And uh, DJ under center and Etienne taking the handoff from that direction is not a usual occurrence for him. But uh, DJ was our true freshman of the week for what he did against Boston college. And I, and I felt that it was, it was more than worthwhile to to go back into the vault with you ahead of Saturday's game against Notre Dame, Clemson's almost a touchdown favorite. I, I think that speaks to how DJ how DJ looked. Um, when you first saw him, you said he was in seventh grade. I got to ask, like, what's, what's the filter process for you on guys who you know you need to go see and guys who you need to pay attention to? I would imagine your Twitter notifications are full of dads putting tagging you in clips of their middle school son's throwing the football. And so at what point are you like, okay, yeah, like DJ Uyangalale 
is on my radar as a seventh grader I need to see? Or did you just show up to a camp that he was at and took notice of this huge kid whipping the football around? Definitely, definitely that one. I, I would never intentionally seek out a seventh grader. That seems a little bit weird to me. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. it definitely wasn't a case where I heard about him and then went and watched him. I was at a seven-on-seven event. He was playing for Team Ainga, and I'm on a I'm on a field, and someone kind of said, "Hey, just a heads up. There's this kid over here. You should probably watch him." And I looked over, and and DJ at that time, I think I wrote that in the article from last week. He's already as a seventh grader, eighth grader, six three. And and 225. I mean, he's a big dude, huge hands, and just watching him wind, you know, warm up and the way he's throwing the football, it looked like he was throwing a baseball. And so I'm watching him. You see this guy, you see the rawness, right? But then you you just see the ball jump out of his hand, and you're going, Oh my God. And I had no idea that he was a middle schooler. So I walked over and asked what high school, you know, I, I saw some some family that was obviously, you know, in his uh you know, in his support circle. I said, Hey, what high school? He goes, well, he's going to go to Bosco, but he's only in seventh grade right now. So he'll be in eighth grade next year and blah, blah, blah. I'm thinking to myself, no way in heck this kid is a middle schooler. So just kind of watched him develop since then. And, and like I said, man, like he had the rawness and he just kept getting better. And even as a junior, when he was already committed to Clemson, he made a huge jump between junior and senior year. The game slowed down for him. He got so much better as an athlete, so much better. And he was always an underrated athlete. I felt like the, the biggest thing for me, we can tell a quarterback starting to get it, it's that pocket feel, that presence. It's being able to make guys miss. And, and as a junior, DJ struggled a little bit. Uh, you know, he needed kind of that clean pocket. And if that first read's open, great. If that second, third read was, was you know, need to go to that one, there was a little bit of a struggle for him. But he got so much better as a senior in high school in terms of just extending plays and just his mobility and feel and finding that second, third, fourth guy and it just becoming more of a demonstrative leader and being down. It's funny. I was texting with his uncle Mao, uh, who's a friend when they were down early, you know, DJ, he's, he's built for that, right? He's been in that situation against modern day last year when they were down 28 to five or whatever. And he never flinches. He, he craves that moment. It's never too big for him. So I knew, I knew that he wasn't going to be nervous. We we're going to see a lot of freshman mistakes. He was going to be poised and polished and he was going to lead them. And I thought the defense, you know, can, can actually play, Clemson style defense. I think I, I, I go, they're going to win. I go, cause DJ will score some points. And then sure enough, you know, third and fourth quarter uh, defense played well and they got some points on the board. And uh, like I said, man, it was, it, I was really happy for DJ and his family. So you're out on the West coast, which is the land of the early quarterback hype. All the, it feels like all the stories about a 13 year old getting offered or out on the West coast. When did you, so you see him in seventh grade, and you wrote in that that great article about DJ being battle tested in high school. You wrote that, you know, you were maybe worried he would get to be too big and kind of become a defensive lineman who just had a great arm. When did you know though that DJ was a kid worth hyping up as a potentially, you know, I could say five star, but really the word that applies here that we overuse so much, I should take a drink, is generational. He ends up being one of the, like four or five guys in the last 10 years a quarterback to get a, a 101 rating in the, in the top two, uh, 24, seven ratings. Yeah. I would say his sophomore year, Trey, that's when I kind of said, okay, let's, let's forget. And, and the reason was even watch him as a middle schooler, it had nothing to do with, with not trusting his talent, but just, I'm from, again, I'm from Hawaii. My mom's Hawaiian, like Polynesians, they don't get smaller. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, you know, you see them start off at six, three, two twenty-five, And then a few years later, those guys are two seventy. So that was my concern. And like I said, DJ was already so dang big. And, but you, honestly, 
when he got to Bosco as a freshman, he was probably about 6'4", 240. And when he left Bosco, he was about 6'4", 240. So he literally didn't put on a, a lot of weight, or even a lot, a lot of bad weight. He got, believe it or not, he got leaner. And he developed physically like I didn't imagine. And honestly, a lot of people, I think, thought the same th- way that I thought. Man, he's going to outgrow the position. And some people said, you know, offensive line. Why I knew he was going to – if he was going to grow outgrow, he'd be a defensive guy because he was a good athlete, baseball player, basketball player. And he'd be a, a – he would have been an incredible defensive end, honestly. You look at how he can move and just how tough and physical he is. But, you know, he stayed as a quarterback. He's 240 now. I, I bet he'll probably leave Clemson at 240. I mean, he's really good with that weight. He's, he's comfortable with that weight. And um, I think he's going to get just more athletic and mobility will continue to increase. So sophomore year, Trey, is when I kind of said, you know what? He's good, good with this weight. When he puts on 10 pounds, he's fine where he's at right now. He's a quarterback 100%. And yeah, he has some generational skills for sure. I remember seeing him in San Antonio at the All-American Bowl last year. That's I, I, There's no way to describe it, but you're so right. Like the, He's a huge guy but it's hard to find like egregiously bad weight on him. So it's, it's really, it's really just incredible how he carries 240 just like that. And then when you compare him to his contemporary Bryce Young and Barton Simmons did a sit down with the two of them, like they just couldn't be physically any more different, but they were both just like the nicest kids. And, oh yeah, and like DJ, you don't expect guys that big to be so gentle, but I thought that was, one of the more striking things about him, and you you mentioned how how good of a kid he is. The College Football Daily will be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Well, what was his recruitment like, Greg? You you mentioned that USC, you wrote in the article, was his childhood, childhood dream school, which is probably tough for Trojan fans to read now. The whole family, we're talking about the mom, the dad, the uncles, they all were USC and still are. He's got a younger brother, Mateo, who's in the 2023 class. And they're already telling me, uh, it's funny, again, just texting with one of his uncles the other, other, other day, Mateo's going to SC, like he's going to be our Trojan. So, I mean, there's <laughs> still some, some USC tie in there, but, uh, you know, for, for USC fans, you, you can't, you can't blame what USC did. They had to prioritize, prioritize one or the other and Bryce Young who was also a 101 rating, right? I mean, Bryce is stinking special too. And I have no, I know this is about DJ, but I have no, no doubt Bryce could play tomorrow. And he would have the same type of impact on a game for Alabama as DJ had for Clemson. I mean, Bryce is built for this too. So USC had to kind of prioritize one. They offered both kids. 
DJ as an eighth grader. Uh, they offered Bryce, I want to say around his sophomore year. And around that time, there was some talk that I wrote this in the article that DJ might go the baseball route because he was so good in baseball. And, you know, we're talking 95 mile, mile hour fastball and hitting bombs as a first baseman. And so do you take the, you know, the sure thing, the surefire football guy in Bryce Young, or do you risk going on DJ? Maybe you commit him, maybe he signs with you, and then he decides to go baseball, right? And, and again, as a senior, DJ didn't even play baseball. But again, these decisions are made on quarterbacks as sophomores now. So everything is way sped up. And so when USC lined Bryce, I, I was thinking, okay, I, I, there's not for a second that I think they missed out. I go, you know what? They got a guy who I think is going to be just as good. Now, unfortunately for USC, Bryce flips to Alabama and it was too late to go back on DJ. And, and honestly, even before Bryce committed to USC, DJ was really, really in love with Clemson. I mentioned how devout DJ is. And he talked to me when he went on that Clemson visit. He actually called me from the visit. And, and he said you know, he, he was blown away by just how connected he felt with that coaching staff. Not just Dabo Sweeney, but the players. He said he visited Clemson and Bama back-to-back weekends. And he said, you know what, Bama was great. He goes, but Clemson was different. He goes, I, I just sensed something different. When you talk to the Clemson players, they were the most humble and sought me out and came up to me and my family. That didn't really happen for him at, at Bama. And talking to the Clemson coaching staff, again, DJ's like, they were playing like gospel and worship music during the practice. And again, that's, that's huge for DJ, right? So yeah. he's like, he's walking away from that Clemson campus saying, dude, this is where I want to be. And from, from that point on, Clemson was leading pretty big. And again, USC, you know, it isn't, the Pete Carroll led USC. Clay Helton has kind of been on the hot seat for the last two or three years. So DJ already had some hesitancy with USC, and, and so did Bryce. That's why Bryce flipped. So um, kind of a long-winded way of, of saying Clemson got in there, did a great job connecting with him. And DJ, from about that visit on, he was all Tiger. Well, we never really thought that this fall we would see, and we're always going to link DJ and Bryce together. We never thought we'd see DJ playing and Bryce on the bench, but I guess that's just 2020 for you. Both of those guys chose their schools. Bryce probably thought he had a chance to, I, Bryce did think he had a chance to, to play this fall. And, and of course the pandemic was in, in part ruined those plans. DJ figured he wouldn't be starting until 2021, but you pretty sure he went there with, with the mindset that I will be ready if I need to be ready. Yeah, no, 100%. You know, talking to DJ at the Polynesian Bowl, that was one of the things we talked about. Because if you remember, uh, the Polynesian Bowl was after he had already reported. So he was on campus for a, a few weeks, did the whole bowl uh, prep, and then came back for the Poly Bowl. And just kind of asked, hey, what's it like there? How, how, he, he just gushed about how good Trevor was. And again, what a great guy Trevor was, what a great teammate he was, and how, you know, he, he was going to be super helpful for him. And so he knew he wasn't going to go in there and beat out a guy who could be the number one pick in the draft next year. But he definitely said he's going to be ready. He feels good with the offense. He, he was already comfortable. Again, I think being a quarterback is so hard. You have to get that locker room behind you. And so you have to have that confidence and that poise and, and all that kind of stuff that DJ instantly had. So it wasn't like he walked into a locker room and people looked at him like, oh, look at this freshman hotshot. I kind of got that sense with, you know, with Bryce. You know, at Alabama, he didn't, he didn't, wasn't received as warmly as DJ was at, at Clemson. I don't know why. That's just a sense that I, I've gotten. But again, I think we thought Bryce might come in there and, and compete for the job and potentially win it. I think people might have forgotten that Mac Jones is actually pretty good at football, too. But we still thought at some point, whether it's week one or week seven, Bryce will be the guy. DJ will wait his turn. Uh, obviously, right now, DJ is the guy. But, um, 
you know, whatever, whatever happens, I, I still hope, man, they're going to be there three years. I hope at least we get at least one matchup one. For, for all the marbles between those two, you know, Clumps and Bama. That, that would just be so many storylines to watch and, and to follow. I love that. We got Trevor Lawrence versus Justin Fields last year. Who knows? We might get that again this year. If we could get a Bryce versus DJ, that'd be so good. Last one, Greg. Recruiting kids from the West Coast. I guess this is a two-part question. Um, I, uh, retaining them is probably a little bit difficult. Tua has even admitted that if he did not play in that national title game, probably would have transferred back to the West Coast. So retaining them is hard. They're just far away from home. Texas saw that with Brew McCoy from modern day. But recruiting them, what's the trick? It almost seems like it's, you know, you, you're several time zones apart and, and all that, but like the the more that, that Clemson can get out of DJ here, it seems like that would make it much easier in the future to go recruit out West because it just seems that those kids, like there's a certain tightness and a, and a bond um, and, and those guys like really grow up idolizing their peers. I saw DJ talking about how, how important Jeremiah Masoli was to him and a Marcus Mariota and, and Tua talked about that too with Mariota. Like I would imagine the brand awareness is so strong for a Clemson or an Alabama when you can get guys from that circle uh, from out West playing so well on the big stage. Yeah, no, I think a big thing, and I've said this for years, this is back when, even when, you know, the West coast was keeping players, but just when I first started out doing this job, I always got the sense that California players were never as entrenched to staying home as you saw in Texas and Florida, kind of like the big three, even in the Midwest, right? If you were in the Midwest, this is like in 15 years ago, 20 years ago, you, you kind of grew up wanting to go to Ohio state, Michigan, Penn state, you're, you'll go to that school. If you live in Texas, you want to go to Texas, A&M, Oklahoma, Florida schools, you go to Miami, Florida state, um, Florida State, Florida, Florida State, or Miami. I always get this in California. Maybe it's because football just isn't as passionate. It's not a religion out here like it is other places. But kids may grow up, you know, a fan of SC or UCLA, but they were always more open to leaving. And that's way more the case now. Again, been doing 25 years. I would say the last three or four years, we're seeing West Coast kids who are now actively taking unofficial trips to other schools you never really set up before. And they're seeing what else is out there. They're watching TV. They're seeing who gets talked about the most. They're watching the NFL draft. They're seeing who gets drafted the most. And unfortunately for, you know, I'm a West Coast guy, right? So I would love to see everybody stay out West, but you're just not seeing it. You're seeing a lot of elite talent leave home. Or I think Oregon right now was doing a great job and USC will always get guys. But yeah, you're seeing a lot of the top, top of the line players who are now very comfortable with, with leaving and going to an Ohio State if you're Wyatt Davis or Court Williams. They're going to Alabama if you're Najee Harris, if you're Bryce Young. Clemson, they got Bo Collins coming in. They already have DJ. Jonah Gata last year. Uh, Notre Dame has always done a great job. Uh, you know, the Brew McCoy experience didn't last long at Texas, but, you know, Texas uh, is still able to come in and, and get some guys, right? So I think for the most part, if, if West Coast teams want to win or want to get kids, they got to win. They got to do a better job developing a better job getting guys drafted, uh, just a better job recruiting in general and, and being more active, and more passionate. Cause you talk to kids and they'll say, Oh dude, it's not even close. How hard the school is out there recruiting me. If they really want a kid, those schools just seem to recruit these guys out here so much harder. They say it's not even close with the exception right now, of probably Oregon. Oregon is pretty maniacal and how hard they go after kids. But for the most part, it just seems like kind of West Coast kind of has this, you know, a little more laid back approach. I think that that's kind of how these kids are being recruited, a little more laid back approach. 
And they want to be, they want these coaches to go all in because everybody else across the country, they are going all in for them. So there's a radical difference. You got me excited thinking about West Coast. We got the Pac-12 starting this weekend. We've got Keaton Slovis versus Jaden Daniels. So maybe maybe someone other than Oregon can really step up and, and retake retake the West Coast. I'm sure USC fans would love for Keaton Slovis to eventually be a first-round pick and kind of re-jumpstart their, their NFL I mean, ASU, heritage. I think ASU and there's shoot Jaden Daniels looks like a first round oh, pick. Yeah. I think ASU has come in last couple of years and, and tried to say, Hey, we're not afraid of, of recruiting against SC for these top guys. So uh, ASU and, you know, UCLA would be nice if they kind of got their act together. I think Washington Huskies have proven they have some, you know, some tradition there too. So uh, it'd be nice if you saw four or five PAC 12 teams that were kind of nationally relevant, but right now it, it's just not happening. Hopefully though, I'm yeah. still hopeful. Well, while, while, while I have you, who is going to win the PAC 12, Greg? And then, and then I'll let you go. Yeah, I mean, if they can get their quarterback, you know, together, I, I got to say Oregon probably has the most talent. I saw their depth chart today, and there was a lot of ors, right? This player or this player, but, dude, they're too deep. Looks really good from offensive line all the way down to DB. Obviously, quarterback position is huge in the Pac-12 because it's a throwing conference. But uh, I, I like Oregon. I think USC will be there, too. I think it's going to be Oregon and USC for the – Pac-12 title, and then, uh, you know, right now I'm leaning toward Oregon, but again, it depends on on who the quarterback is. I'm assuming it's going to be Tyler Shuck. Um, if Oregon gets good quarterback play, then I think they're really talented, but, you know, I think USC, Graham Harrell, you already mentioned Brew McCoy. They got a bunch of really good receivers, and, and if they can get their defense together and the O-line plays, plays well, I could see USC giving Oregon a nice run as well. All right, you heard it here. Greg Biggins, National Recruiting Analyst for 24-7 Sports. Follow him on Twitter, at Greg Biggins. It's a simple handle. We appreciate it, Greg. Always, always. Thanks, Trey. Thanks again to Greg Biggins. He's so good. Uh, talked DJ Uyangalele. Fun to get him on the podcast to talk DJ. I thought we'd probably have him on the podcast at some point in this fall to talk Bryce Young, but maybe next year, uh, probably next year. So for now, we'll definitely take the DJ cameo so it's november 3rd it's election day so you know the the college football coverage will probably be a little bit sparse today and one of those reasons will be because the ncaa if you forgot has instituted uh, going forward for for now and forevermore on election day an off day so no practices no press availabilities nothing like that so if you're wondering why it's all quiet out there on the college football landscape at least that's because the NCAA is trying to encourage its athletes to vote if they have not yet early voted. Two other quick storylines. Man, keep keep Demarcus Thomas, Ole Miss freshman, in your thoughts and prayers. He was seriously injured Monday morning during the Ole Miss practice, according to Coach Lane Kiffin. He had to be airlift he had to be airlifted via helicopter to Baptist Oxford Hospital. Kiffin did not share the exact nature of the injury, but told reporters that Thomas had had a little movement and feeling in his body prior to being placed on the helicopter. But other than that, it was was pretty scary and pretty potentially severe experience at the Ole Miss practice. So Demarcus Thomas will just, will keep an eye on that and hope he comes out of this. All right. Last item of news today, the sec fined coach Dan Mullen of Florida, $25,000 for his role in the Florida-Missouri brawl, fight, melee, scrabble. I don't know if that one was a word uh, that occurred on last Saturday's game. Mullen, yeah, you did you watch the tape? Maybe he instigated it, maybe he didn't. He definitely came back out after going back into the tunnel 
to try to get the crowd motivated and, and pumped up after that fight. I don't think the fine has anything to do with him wearing a Darth Vader outfit. I'm not sure if that helped the look, though. And then, more importantly, uh, the SEC suspended for the first half, uh, starting defensive end Zachary Carter and backup defensive lineman Antoine Powell for the first half of the Georgia game on Saturday. Georgia itself is wounded. Richard LeCount, who we mentioned yesterday, the safety who was injured in a motorcycle accident Saturday, he's going to be all right. No longer in ICU. Definitely won't be playing this weekend, but Georgia still has multiple losses on the defensive front, including two defensive linemen. So that's a storyline hanging over the head of the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Whoever comes through it, whoever deals with depth issues the most and suspensions and injuries will be the front runner in the SEC East and will keep their playoff hopes alive. My name is Trey Scott. Once again, thank you to list, thank you for listening to the College Football Daily. Thank you to Greg Biggins for joining us. Thank you to our producer, Tony Levitt. He does a fantastic job putting this show together. We'll talk to y'all on Wednesday.